0: Welcome to the weekly squeak, your weekly geeky squeak with me, Christian Scheller, as always. I hope everybody is okay. Um, it's certainly been an interesting week, an interesting couple of weeks at all ends of everything. Um, so I'm here to just bring a little bit of tech and miscellaneous news to you, mostly tech. Actually, no, I tell a lie. A little bit of tech, a little bit of other stuff to your inbox video feed, podcast feed today. And I have a, a, a re-interview, I don't know if that's really a word, with uh, Gurav Deshpander of Tiger Graph. We spoke back again, actually, just at the end of April, but they had a recent um, AI graph conference I wanted to get some inputs on. So we have a re-interview with him coming up um, later in the show. But before that, as always, I have some links for you. So first, this week has been an interesting week in many ways. This is an article actually from the National News, (laughs) from John Dennehy. Uh, Maybe I should pick a different source, but this was actually widely reported. Uh, Just the one that popped into into my feed the most, I guess. Farewell to Tegel Airport. Hello to Berlin Brandenburg Airport. And for those of you who don't know, but it actually was fairly widely reported in international news. Berlin, where I currently live, has had this intriguing situation with airports for some time in that we had, uh, well, up until the mid-2000s, three small airports, one of those closed. Then there was the Budget Airport and Tegel, Uh, both very small airports, both very old, a little bit out of date, a little bit um, over capacity. Uh, And they were all designed to sort of be short term, but uh, never really were. And Berlin Brandenburg was supposed to be the big, fancy, modern, uh, shiny international airport that suits a capital city and, in theory, the capital, quote unquote, of Europe. But it was delayed and delayed and delayed and went over budget and had all sorts of controversy. And it finally opened uh, on Halloween. And, of course, (laughs) what a time for an airport to open. So it's something of a soft launch, which actually is possibly not a bad thing for the airport itself. Uh, would really love to go and see it. There were also concerns that it um, would be over capacity, day of opening, which is not such an issue for the next couple of years, probably, which is also potentially good for it. But this has meant that Tegel, uh, a lot of people's favorite airport, has finally closed as it was designed to in 2012 to become a science park. And, um... A lot of people like this airport. It's very close to the city. It's actually very close to where I live. In theory, I could probably walk to it in about 40 minutes if I wanted to. It takes about 20 minutes by public transport. Um, But that obviously, as you may have guessed from that, it means it's very, very close to housing, and that's been the big problem. And that was also why um, Tempelhof was closed in 2008. Tempelhof is now a park. It's literally people's backyard. And Tegel is not much better. And that's one of the main reasons it needed to close. And it finally has. And it's kind of sad. I would have liked to have had a final flight from it. But this year being what it is, um, never really happened. Uh, So it's kind of a shame. I never really got to say goodbye to it. But then on the positive, I hope that, well, there is no hope. When I next fly, I will go from Brandenburg. There's no real option anymore. A little bit further. But yeah, uh, and this article details um, some of the history of airports, which is one thing I liked about it. It actually kind of um, mentioned a, a few uh, little bits of the potted history here. And also Schoenfeld is uh, has closed now, and no one shed a tear for that. No one really likes <laughs> that airport very much, unless you just live close to it. But that's about the only thing it has going for it. Um, and a little bit of a potted history of what happens next, some photos of it. It is uh, pretty, pretty modern. You can actually visit it. I mean, that's the funny thing at the moment. People are kind of visiting the airport, but not really going anywhere because it's been this story of berlin for so long um so yeah interesting obviously you can find this news on a few other outlets as well um and uh yeah goodbye tegel hello berlin brandenburg eventually it's strange as well because i got into a routine at schoenfeld and tegel and now of course going to brandenburg it's going to be a completely new routine to learn because i've never never used it before so i sort of look forward to that i guess Next kind of infrastructure, this is from Quanta Magazine, from uh, Susan Gostino. This is with uh, Vince Cerf. Uh, Actually, oh, not Vince, Vintun. Vin is always how we've known him. I never really knew what his name actually was. Always immaculately turned out. I actually saw him at a talk here a couple of years ago. Always wears this three-piece suit, very inspiring. Um, And he was actually getting over COVID-19 as well. Um, And he's one of the fathers of the internet, the internet the sort of infrastructure behind the internet, the TCP IP protocol, which I'm sure many of you know. Um, and he's now looking, in his latter years, he works for Google, has done for some time, into this interplanetary networking special interest group, getting the internet into space, which is quite amazing. And uh, any kind of inroads into that will definitely, well, I mean, he has a legacy already, but seal his legacy even more um, and it's an interesting interview of him talking about how they're going to do that and how they will extend what they currently have to do that. Uh, a lot of people would argue, what use will it be? I suppose it's good for communication uh, and actually offering this uh, communication to a growing number of private space operators, which is also kind of interesting, Um and, yeah, it details some of the ideas. It uh, details what they're doing and how they're looking into it and what will happen next. And there's some great photos of him here in his lovely suits. I'll have to find out where he gets them from, although I'm sure I can't afford them. Um, and we're looking at this being called the DTM protocol. Oh, it's a nice photo. I'd love a study like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the future of Internet protocols, perhaps. One final one in tech. This is from PC PCMag on Medium, from uh, Thor Jensen, probably, not Jensen, Jensen. The strangest operating systems. I love this kind of stuff. Temple OS, a um, religious operating system, as you might have guessed. Collapse OS, something of the opposite. Um, and created this kind of... Uh, Operating system that is extremely lean and light and can survive an apocalypse. Aros, or Aros, I'm not sure. Um, An open source version of um, kind of Commodore OS, I guess. Um, Yeah, Uh, I've I've come across a lot of operating systems that try to replicate Amiga OS, but never the Commodore one, which is interesting. I never really... uh, uh, used it a, a, wild amount, a, a varied amount, mostly was an Amiga person. Um, well, actually, this post is a little unclear. I'm not sure if it's for Amiga or Commodore. This looks a bit like Workbench, and the uh, video here says so. I have a, a couple of times attempted to download some of these. I should open the link right now. And often, actually, um, have a quick look. Uh, I'm not sure if this is one of the ones I looked at. Yeah, a lot of the time actually getting them to run is somewhat difficult on certain platforms. And then, I mean, it's fun for nostalgia, but then when you actually open it and you're kind of, what do I do with this? So, <laughs> so there's always that element to it. Tron, uh, lovely colors here. Uh, this was a predominantly Japanese operating system that the Japanese actually tried to bring to the West. Uh, the real-time operating system Nucleus never really got anywhere. Um, but it's actually on lots of uh, mo- was is was um, on lots of uh, mobile phone operating systems in Asia. Red Star OS. This is uh, <laughs> North Korean um, operating system. Unix-like. I uh, I, don't, I don't know. Do it? Dare I click the link? <laughs> I don't think I do. Um, Suicide Linux. This game. Uh, this game. Sorry, I was just reading the text there. Is a version of Linux that every time you uh, issue the incorrect command, it wipes your system. I think that feels like a uh, gaming, no, not a game, like a a developer challenge more than an operating system. Sabali, much like Temple OS, this is Ubuntu for specifically aimed at the Muslim world. Um, Vis, Vis, Visopsis, Visopsis, Um, this was. Just someone who wanted to to make an operating system um, and adding all sorts of interesting things here. And people just, he just kind of tinkers away at it. I'd like to have a look at the website there. I love this kind of stuff, seeing how you can get it to run. Uh, still, it's being maintained for over three years. Um, yeah. It's always nice to just have these different options that people can learn from. Pony OS, And the nice thing about a lot of this list is it's not all just uh, Linux distributions. Um, and this is not PonyOS, isn't? It's built on top of Toru, which um, is another strange one. And you can rotate windows and there are ponies everywhere. I think me have to have a quick look at this. <laughs> it looks quite uh, wonderful. I might have a look at this later. All right, enough of me going down rabbit holes there or pony holes there. Uh, finally, an article on Wired by Wired. 25 of the best science fiction books everyone should read. I've read a few of these. I didn't necessarily agree with all of them. Frankenstein Foundation, I enjoyed the trilogy to a certain extent. Bits of it were better than others. Um, Solaris has been on my list for a while. June I found a bit tedious. I know that will be an unpopular opinion. Um, Ursula Le Guin, I've read a little bit of. Stuff is somewhat inconsistent. Um, Neuromancer, I don't know. I find William Gibson a bit mm, tedious. I must admit, Hyperion I really enjoyed. Jurassic Park is actually good. Snow Crash. I've been working my way through a lot of Neil Stevenson. After a certain point, he really gets to Stephen King territory, where there's just so much unnecessary writing. It gets you get a bit bored with reading it, even though they're quite fun books. You get a bit bored with reading it after a while. Um, and Oryx and Crake, I highly recommend. That's actually a really good book. Much better than uh, Hemingway's Tale, in my opinion. Um, I haven't read this, Margaret Atwood. I recently read The Power. It's a very good uh, modern uh, sci-fi. Um, and the rest I haven't, but I will add the rest of these to my Goodreads list. I hope you enjoyed those links for the week. And now here is my interview again, my re-interview with Gaurav from Groff.
1: <laughs> it has been a very interesting year. Um, well, first of all, th- Chris, thanks a lot for inviting me, uh, Gaurav Deshpande, I'm Vice President of Marketing, and Tiger Graph. and it's great to chat with you again. Uh, for the listeners who are new to TigerGraph, TigerGraph is a graph database and analytics platform. The easiest way to think about Tagigraph is we help accelerate your analytics and your AI projects, your machine learning projects, with graph algorithms. So the first question that it begs is, what is a graph algorithm? Because you are like, I know the graphs that I did in elementary school, middle school, and high school. Oh, what graph are you talking about? So if you use Google every day, you know when you hit enter on Google for the search, it returns those pay- web pages back to you in an ordered manner. That particular algorithm is called PageRank, and you use it about six and a half billion times a day across the world, users use it. When they do Google search, so if you think uh, what is graph simple, think about a Google search. That's a graph. That's graph is going against a knowledge graph that Google has built. That's a graph database. That's exactly That that's what Graph does. We are a graph database and analytics platform. Now, in terms of our um, in terms of our capabilities, we are a third generation graph database and analytics platform. Chris, which means for your viewers, we are highly scalable, distributed. And we are able to deliver things like do things in uh, milliseconds that other products take hours to do. So that's a major differentiator is the ability to scale up and deliver business insights that are much, much faster than what's possible with either relational databases or first or second generation databases like Neo4j or DataStax or Amazon Action. So that's kind of like a context setting for
0: your for your viewers. And in the past, I would encourage people to go back to the episode in March, and I also did a hands-on, I don't know, some point also in the past few months, have a look, I'll find the links for later. Uh, and actually found, um, I was mostly experimenting with the the open source underpinnings, but or the community version, um, and actually found it pretty easy to get started with. So that, that's great. Um, so people can can go and have a look there. Um, but also, to-
1: please, by the way, we announced at Graphless AI where well, you mentioned that that particular yeah. event. So, you know, we had keynotes from United Healthcare, from Intuit Corporation, which is the parent of TurboTax, and Jaguar Land Rover, among many other customers that presented. But the interesting part is we also announced a free enterprise yeah. license for up to 50 GB, and then we have the free tier on cloud as well. So you don't yeah. have to pay anything to try out TigerGraph. You can try it out right now.
0: That was, I think, was going to be the first bit I was going to come to. That was one of the main things you added. I mean, what, what was the, the, the thought process behind that? And I'm yeah. always interested with free tiers, how yeah. you decide what tier is, um, is cost effective for you. Because okay. there's still a cost, obviously, involved in you running it. But how you decide exactly. uh, from a product perspective, which, yeah. which level makes sense.
1: So, in terms of free tier, let me explain the reason why we did the TigerGraph Cloud free tier first, that we released last last year, mm-hmm. and it has been immensely successful. Over two thousand developers are building applications on top of TigerGraph Cloud analytics, AI, and machine learning applications. But the reason why we did the enterprise is because we realized that a lot of customers are beginning their journey with products that are available for free usage on the enterprise side, right? Mm-hmm. And these are small proof-of-concept type projects that they start off with. And usually for those projects, up to 50 GB in terms of data capacity is adequate because you're proving out a value associated with graph. So we realized that um, friends don't let friends start with inefficient technologies. So we realized that (laughs) other technologies that cost about three times as much when you roll them out in production than TigerGraph, People are starting on those technologies because they are, in some cases, open access, which mm-hmm. means they are open source, they are available to download, and I can run it in POC as long as I need to for a lifetime till I, you know, till I prove out the value of a graph algorithm like a page rank, a community detection, or another type of deployment. So we realize that we don't want to do that to our customers, to our prospects, because it's a painful thing switching from one platform to another when you have spent about six months, nine months, and a year trying to do a proof of concept. Mm -hmm. So that was the intention behind the 50 GB. And then we looked at what are the type of data requirements that people have in terms of loading stuff in and getting enough value out of the platform so that they can start to see business value. Mm -hmm. So 50 GB was actually based on about 200 or so customers that we reviewed. Uh, and made sure that it works for them. And then we have over 30 enterprise customers. close to 40 now as of last quarter. And those are all start with small deployments in departments sometimes. And then those proof of concepts will also work fine for 50 GB um, data sites. So that's the rationale behind it. And of okay. course, you're absolutely right. We do pay a lot of money to run our AWS infrastructure to do the free tier. You know, We are paying it out of the pocket But the whole idea there is we want people to learn in a seamless manner with the same platform on the enterprise side as they do on the cloud side. So we are the only one that has the option of being able to select AWS if you want to run your TigerGraph Cloud workload, the public cloud graph database as a service on AWS. Or you can choose an Azure instance Mm -hmm. and very soon you'll be able to choose the GCP or a Google Cloud Platform instance. So okay. we want it to be open. we don't want people to be locked into a particular cloud platform. We just want them to use understand and use graph algorithms as soon as possible.
0: Ah uh, so just to clarify then the your free tier or your paid tier sits on top of cloud hosting as well yes it so does. there's yeah. there's billing involved from that side I mean, were, that's that's not a common uncommon no, thing then, then, for for companies to do but yeah
1: yeah, yeah. actually, we don't charge customers anything. So compute as well as storage for the free tiers is completely paid by TagiGraph, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's okay. uh, the, all right. okay. into the okay. community. So it's truly free. You are not charging you for the compute saying, oh, you know, you pay this little m- yeah. much for okay. the AWS for the free tier, like a few dollars of, you know, whatever a month. Mm-hmm. Though you don't pay anything, right? We pay all of it. So when you choose TagiGraph Cloud free tier, either on AWS or on Azure, it's completely free. Okay. So you can load up Again, basic data set, like 50 GB data set, just the same way you can on the enterprise side and you can run it uh, on TagiGraph Cloud and you can proof out the value. And then we have something called starter kits. I don't know if I talked about it last time I mentioned it briefly, but we have over 20 starter yeah, kits. Yeah, I think
0: I, I think I discovered it whilst um, I was experimenting, but uh, I think yeah. I tried the uh, CRM one or... Yeah, customer 360. Yeah, yeah but, but uh, yeah... I, it, it, I think the name is fairly self-explanatory, but yeah, maybe you just go into a little bit more detail about what they are. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. So charter kits is a combination
1: of three things, right? We realize that people, because even though you use PageRank every day when you use mm. Google, when you use uh, Facebook and LinkedIn and Twitter, you're, they're doing community detection in the back end. People Mm -hmm. don't know how to use these algorithms in context of a use case. Mm -hmm. So what we did is we built specific starter kits which contain three elements. It contains a predefined data model. So for example, for Customer 360, we have an example of Salesforce data model, what what is in customer Mm -hmm. entity in Salesforce as a data model. The second thing that we have is we have, uh, then we have a predefined set of queries, advanced analytics queries that are part of it. And the third thing that we have there um, is essentially a, a UI, right? So a user workflow that walks you through the data science workflow um, okay. through, the, through the entire experience. So that's, that's what we have, predefined data model, predefined set of queries, and, and a UI workflow for a data, data scientist to actually go through and, uh, and get value out of, uh, out of that particular use case immediately.
0: And obviously, I think the event was only a week or two ago, but um, in that relatively short period of time, has there been much interest in the new tier? Or I guess announcing it at a conference is going to get you at least some of those people. Yeah, Yeah, I'm happy to report, Chris,
1: that literally, um, I think as of last count, we had hundreds of uh, applications for enterprise free tier that have rolled in, Mm -hmm. uh, both from Fortune 500 companies, Uh, as well as mid-size and tech startups. So we are seeing a lot of tech startups that were previously using, uh, I won't mention the name of the company, uh, other platforms that didn't scale for them or did not work out for them. They are looking at saying, hey, I finally have a viable option here for my initial deployment because their model is they want to prove it out with a baseline data Mm -hmm. set, with a set of queries and use those set of queries and data set to prove out the value of the startup, right? We are a startup ourselves. So we want to proof it out. And once we see the value, we'll definitely go ahead and pay for it. But before we see the value, we can't really pay for it because we don't have the budget
0: mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm.
1: to try it out. And we need to mm-hmm. see the value. And we completely understand that. So that has been an amazing thing. We had 3,000 attendees, over 3,215 actually at about the mm-hmm. final count. And out of which about 105 companies, uh, 100, and uh, sorry, 110 companies as of last count, mm-hmm. 110, out of Fortune 500 attended. And then we had uh, we had people from fifty six countries that joined us live, and then uh, streamed on demand uh, in the following week.
0: So let's let's go into that into a little bit more detail. The one thing I'd actually first like to talk about is the name, mm-hmm. um, because whether whether we just never mentioned it at the mm-hmm. last time we spoke, or you've changed your uh, positioning slightly, I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Um, let's just what. What is the the kind of connection between graph and AI? Like, why is that a good pairing? Yeah,
1: that's a great question. May I use a couple of customer examples to show you what I mean? Please do. Um, yeah. So it's, it's funny because we have on our staff people who have, you know, machine learning PhD, uh, graph algorithms PhD, graph algorithms for machine learning specifications as PhD. Mm-hmm. Um, so all of these people know this as their second nature, but... When we started talking to our prospects, we realized they don't understand the connection between graph algorithms and AI. So, I'll give you specific examples of what we are doing with customers. Mm-hmm. One of the customers that presented Chris was United Health Group. United Health Group has built the world's largest connected healthcare data set. They have 10 billion entities. Entities are things like patients, like claims, doctors, right? Uh, 50 billion, 50 billion relationships between those entities. And they have integrated that with their AI solution. We deliver actually AI application. I will give one example of an AI application. Um, you have a patient that you are looking at, right? Based on the two hundred features related to those that particular patient, two hundred types of attributes, two hundred features. I want to do a real time match of that patient with fifty million other patients I have as United Health Group. Now, for a relational database, it takes hours to do this for. Uh, a usual normal graph database, it takes several minutes. We do it in 50 milliseconds, five zero milliseconds. Mm-hmm. So the ability for somebody to be able to do that, to say, because what, what is the similarity matching? Similarity matching is one of the classic AI use cases. When you are able to deliver it at scale, right, for 50 million patients with 200 features being used as a criteria, it opens up a lot of things such as looking at, oh, this particular patient is... Uh, tending towards a type 1 diabetes or is type 1 diabetes positive, right? They have a type 1 diabetes. They also have high blood pressure. They also have been uh, reporting symptoms of COVID-19. What is is the proper action for them? Should they get admitted into an Mm -hmm. emergency room? Should they just get the COVID-19 test done? Should they call back in 24 or 48 hours? So depending on all the conditions about a patient, about what their health is, What medications they are taking, and what what are the things that have procedures that have been done to them in the past, and the diagnosis. Based on those two hundred features, you can actually make a call to say, "Hey, this is what the best action for this patient is." You're also able to do aggregate analysis to see what are the populations of patients that I'm serving, and how does this patient relate to a particular population of patients. So that's a real time AI application implemented in milliseconds for United Health Group's large. Uh, 50 million patients. Another example of AI with uh, with graph is Intuit. So all of us here in United States are familiar with TurboTax. I use TurboTax to file my taxes. Over 40 million households do in the United States. They are a customer. They have built a knowledge graph mm-hmm. using TigerGraph. And that knowledge graph actually powers their AI-based customer 360. What they do essentially is centralize all of the customer information link it up together, and then feed their AI and machine learning projects for multiple use cases, including fraud detection, Mm -hmm. personalization, recommendation engine, marketing and sales promotion. All of that gets driven off of essentially a brain of the enterprise, which is what graph database, when it's implemented in the right way and combined with the AI, becomes the brain of your enterprise. In fact, it's funny enough, Ed Swedlin, the Vice President of Advanced Technology Collaborative at United Health Group. He presented, and he actually said, "Graph is the brain of our enterprise." Okay, <laughs> so, kind of interesting, right? Because and he and he gave an example of how the CIO of Optum, which is part of United Health Group, thinks about it, and he's thinking about building a predictive enterprise using graph and AI. So he actually describes that very well as a part of the keynote. So for those of you, let me make a shill for our for listening to the replay, just go to graphaiworld.com and yeah. register and keynote. You in 20 minutes, you will learn a lot, you know, a lot more uh, than you have learned from a lot of other sessions.
0: Okay. And just actually just looking at some of these actually, I think I'm just only even looking at the oh no, this is all the sessions. Yeah. Uh all of these speakers, customers, or is it a mixture of people talking about graph in general as well?
1: Graph plus AI is an open conference. Mm -hmm. Uh, We had a lot of our customers present. Uh, We have also invited people who have been using uh, ways of implementing graph algorithms without a graph database. Mm -hmm. They're in the process of adopting TigerGraph, but they haven't uh, made that switch yet, but we don't really care. Even if you're using a competitor's product, you're more than welcome to come to Graph Plus AI World. So that's the other aspect I wanted to emphasize, Chris. Is we this is not this is not about TigerGraph. It's organized by TigerGraph. Yeah. A Lot of our customers are presenting, like you know, Xander Xandr, which is part of AT and mm-hmm. uh, I mentioned Jaguar Land Rover. Actually, Jaguar Land Rover is a fantastic story. They reduced their supply chain planning from three weeks down to forty-five minutes with TigerGraph. But the whole idea is for everybody who comes here, Whether whatever technology they are using, as long as you're combining graph, database, and analytics with AI, accelerating analytics and AI, we want to hear from you. Mm-hmm. So we actually mm-hmm. have Graphless AI Summit, which will announce shortly in 2021, in March of 2021, where we again want to come back with a, another open agenda, an open conference where people can present their work. Like I said, you, even if you're using a competitor's product, we don't really care yeah. as long as you are doing interesting things with graph and combining that with analytics and AI, we want to hear from you.
0: And I can see a lot of talks here about combining with very common tools like Spark, Kafka, Maria, yeah. Uh, yeah. Python. Um, in fact, in fact, was. about 80% of our
1: customers integrate, TigerGraph uh, Tiger graph with Kafka. And Spark yeah,
0: both. it makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So I, we don't have too much time left. So um, apart from the conference in 2021, <laughs> this is, what's happening in the next six months? Oh, we have a host of things coming up, right? So we have, um,
1: we uh, are releasing, of course, we, we will announce <clears throat> new versions of our product. We'll continue mm-hmm. to make StaggerGraph Cloud. And it's a, it's a constant uh, continuous improvement on Graph Cloud. We keep on releasing new starter kits. So mm-hmm. we have about 23 starter kits right now. You know, we'll add several more. The big thing is we are seeing in-database machine learning as a dominant trend inside our Fortune 500 customer base, and now it's extending to bit size and startups also. Okay. So let me explain what I mean by that. We actually do, we do, you typically way of graph databases is they generate graph-based features and they'll export out to an ML solution. Mm -hmm. machine learning platform and we do that at a lot of our customers but then customers realize that certain applications I want to do near real time or faster processing of my ML workload Mm -hmm. when I'm trying to do that logical place to do that is right next to the data when you have connected data sets inside TigerGraph, several terabytes you know tens of terabytes of data why would you want to run the features, export it out, get it to another ML platform and do it there if you're pressed for time or you want insights sooner. So that's mm-hmm. where people are doing in-database for fraud detection, for recommendation engine, and also for customer 360 customer insight type applications. So United Healthcare is a classic example that I mentioned for similarity matching, in-database similarity matching. Another common one, I mentioned Xander X-A-N-D-R, which is part of at They're building, they're part of Warner Media as the parent group. They are building the world's largest, one of the largest identity graphs in media and entertainment industry. Mm -hmm. So their massive identity graph, which is kind of knowing every customer, regardless of the accounts that they have created. So let's say you take a, you know, regardless whether you come in through website channel or a micro campaign that you did with a partner, you want to have a single view of the customer across all of their accounts. So link all accounts together so that you have a single view. That entity resolution in database can be done in near real time. So as customers are creating different accounts, you can link them up to the parent account so that you can have customer 360, a living, breathing customer 360 with entity resolution of a single identity of a customer. That helps you do personalization. That helps you do recommendations. And that also helps you keep the fraudsters out like do fraud detection. So we are seeing that in database machine learning as a massive trend. And you will see... Uh, us add starter kits. We already have in-database machine learning for fraud detection. Mm, We'll all add one specifically for GCN, Graph Convolutional Network, which is allows you, it's a generic framework that allows you to do multiple use cases in database with machine learning inside graph. So it will be added over the next month. So we'll see a bunch of things that are related to providing more starter kits, more functionality out of the box, and better user experience, even better than what we have already.
0: It's machine learning in the graph sounds kind of fascinating, but I think that's probably an entire topic in itself. <laughs> so I'm hoping there's a, a video from the conference somewhere <laughs> that, uh, yeah, that talks about them. this. Um, so yeah, have a look at the, the conference, um, videos, have a look at those starter kits and, uh, from, yeah, from memory, you have a pretty good getting started tutorial as well. Um, yeah, I think um I think that's a nice a nice wrap up then. Um I
1: just I just ask everybody to go check out com for the sessions and tigergraph.com forward slash cloud. Just get on tigergraph Cloud, get on the free tier, experience the graph for yourself and find out what the what the buzz is all about.
0: I hope you enjoyed that interview with Gura from Tiger A Couple of things I've been up to. I think this needs a little bit of updating. Um I did another one shot with the quick test dummies. We did Tournament of Tokens. There's actually a second one that hasn't made it up to YouTube yet, but there will be another one there. Solo Adventurer last week, and also this week will be Luna. Ro- um, will be Creatures Such As We, a lunar romance kind of interactive fiction piece. Um, I have a couple of other videos as well on my YouTube channels and Twitch channels. I have a uh, expose with Netlify plugins. I have a sponsored special uh, looking at Snagit 2021 and I've also been doing live feeds uh, mostly every day, not always for various reasons, of my efforts with NanoRimo National Novel Writing Month. So lots of videos there. Should be some new uh, blog posts soon as well. I'm working on a roundup of screenshot tools and a couple of others for Humanitech right now. So a few other things to come there. Um, events, I need to actually add them to the website, but I... I'm doing talks at Write the Docs Australia at the beginning of December and also API the Docs at the beginning of December, so I need to add those links, but they are coming soon. Other podcasts, uh, we're about to record another episode of Stories About People, and episode three should be released soon, and likewise for Board Game Jerk, actually. And uh, yeah, I'm still in the process of sorting out my newsletter. It's a busy few weeks, actually, Um, so just keep, keep an eye on the website for that. Um, And there'll be some news on my office hours soon as well. That's the structure of that is going to change a little bit because I've been experimenting with platforms and things. But if you have enjoyed the show, then as always, please rate, review, share. Please subscribe to YouTube or to my podcast feeds, however you want to consume those. Keep an eye on the website for updates. Follow me on social media. Please rate, review, share wherever you have found the podcast, the newsletter, the video. And until next time, thank you very much for joining me.